This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Today we're wrapping up our brief series on the Lord's Prayer and our larger, longer series on the Sermon on the Mount, the world's greatest sermon, where Jesus has taught us what it means to be his disciple, his follower, the heart he wants us to have, the mission he calls us to, to be salt and light, the depth to which he transforms our heart, not just obeying the Ten Commandments, but transforming our hearts so that we desire to be righteous and pure, that we desire to love our enemies, that we desire to not be anxious, but to trust the Lord. And we've seen that Jesus' kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. And we get to be in it, which is amazing grace. And, and Jesus has taught us how to pray. And that's what we're going to focus on today, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is God's word for us today. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May we pray for God's glory like Jesus taught us to. When I was growing up, I learned the Lord's Prayer as part of Catholic school. We had to memorize it. When I mean had to memorize it, our hands would get smacked if we didn't memorize it. We had to memorize it. And we had to recite it to earn our forgiveness. That's a whole nother story. And when I would go and visit my grandparents who lived out in Nebraska, we would always pray the Lord's Prayer before each meal together. We would hold hands around the table and my granddad would lead us in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And right when we got done, I would dive headfirst into my grandma's mashed potatoes and start spooning them into my mouth until I would always realize they were still praying. They were still going. And they would say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I remember thinking as they looked at me with my mouth overflowing with mashed potatoes, where did that come from? They have a different version of the prayer than I have. Have you ever heard the Lord's Prayer that way with that tagline on it? It turns out that doxology, the end of the Lord's Prayer, is in the King James Bible, and it's also in the NASB, but it isn't in 
the ESV, the translation we use, or the NIV. You can actually see a note at the end of the Lord's Prayer if you have an ESV Bible. You'll see a note that has that, that says some manuscripts add that to the Lord's Prayer. The reason it was removed is because it wasn't in the earliest, oldest manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew that they found, which, as a side note, gives us great confidence in God's Word. Because they poured over every word, every sentence, every statement. They compared every manuscript. And they could study and find out when it got added and when one word would change. Because this is God's word. And he's preserved it for us. But this doxology that, that ends the Lord's prayer that we've sometimes learned to pray. It does appear in many early Greek manuscripts. And it seems like it was used in the early church. It was a statement of praise to God for his kingdom and his power and his glory forever. Amen. It informed the early church how they responded to praying to God. They would pray the Lord's prayer together. And at the end, they ended with this prayer and this proclamation and this doxology, this praise to God. It's a great way to end our prayers. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's something about ending our prayer by praising God, giving glory to God. By leading into this praise and worship of God. It informs what they believe happened when they prayed. Because they believed God heard and he would answer their prayers. They wanted to give glory to God knowing he received every request. And he was going to answer and respond for his glory. Their prayer led to praise of God. And we want God-centered God-glorifying prayers. We want to end our prayers by saying, yes, Lord, we do this for your glory and your name and your kingdom forever. We want to end by praising God. So the main point this morning as we conclude the Lord's Prayer is pray for the glory of God. Pray for the glory of God. I want to build your faith that prayer honors and glorifies God. It's what we were made for. To praise him. And we're going to look at the Lord's prayer and how it leads us to pray for God's kingdom and God's power. All for God's glory forever. So first of all, point number one. Pray for God's kingdom. Pray for God's kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is countercultural. Being a disciple of Jesus is not like following this world. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he is teaching his disciples. And specifically in this section on prayer, he is addressing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. We've heard about them a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. Look back at verse 5 of Matthew 6. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. And he talks about how they loved to be seen by others. They loved to be heard by others. It was, it was all a show for them. It was a display. Ultimately, when they were praying, when they stood up 
with their robes and loud voices and began to pray. It wasn't for God's kingdom or God's glory. It was ultimately about them. Prayer was a tool to show how great they were, not to show how great God is. This is what John Stott says in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the error of the hypocrite is selfishness. Even in his prayers, he is obsessed with his own self-image and how he looks in the eyes of the beholder. But in the Lord's Prayer, Christians are obsessed with God, with his name, his kingdom, and his will, not with theirs. True Christian prayer is always a preoccupation with God and his glory. It is therefore the exact opposite of the exhibitionism of hypocrites who use prayer as a vehicle for their own glory. I like the traditional early church ending of the Lord's Prayer because it's a recognition that this is God's kingdom and God's glory and God's power. And it's just good for our souls to remember that. It's not about me. It's not about what I get, the glory I get. It's all about Him. We recognize it's about Him. And, and, I, and I, I'm not sure that our danger is like the Pharisees so much exhibiting our prayers in front of others. Selfishness in that form. I wonder if, if our danger today is a different kind of selfishness. A selfishness that expresses itself in a lack of prayer. A selfishness in that we are self-sufficient. We, we don't pray to impress others because we're already impressed with ourselves. Therefore, we just don't pray. We trust ourselves and we trust in our own resources and, and we look to our own name and our own power. We just don't see how dependent on God we are every moment of every day. I saw a video this week of a man who for two years alone in the wilderness built an amazing log cabin. I mean, he had he cut down the trees. He started from nothing. He charred the lumber. He dug the holes. He was working on every piece, every piece by piece. He fit this, this log cabin together. It took him two years. And the name of his YouTube channel is My Self-Reliance. And it looked amazing. It was super cool. And I think we like stuff like that. We watch that and we think, this is amazing. He did it all by himself. He didn't need anybody. It was just him in the woods and the snow, cutting trees, building a log cabin, completely off the grid. You know, we, we value self-reliance, the self-made man, the idea of being independent and, and reliant on no one and no thing. And the problem is when we import that mindset to our relationship with God. I can do it. I, I, I can do it on my own because Jesus teaches us just the opposite in the Sermon on the Mount. God values reliance on him. God values when we trust him, when we depend on him. And maybe, maybe we can live independent of the power grid, but we can't live independent of God. We need him every hour. And this is one of my biggest 
struggles with my sin and my flesh, it's self-sufficiency. This look to myself. I so often go into the day looking at what I need to do. What, what are my plans for the day? And I look to my resources, my schedule, my task list. And as I check off the boxes each day, it feels so good, doesn't it? Just to get things done. I love it. Just I check and then I cross and then I scribble. It just feels good to get things done. And when problems come up or obstacles, I begin working on how to fix them and thinking about them and scheming and planning. And I begin working a solution to it. And one of the most helpful questions my wife asked me so often, we'll just be talking and I'm thinking I've got plans and paper and ideas and all these things. And she'll just say, have you prayed about this? And my usual response is, I have not, sadly. And we have so many illustrations, so many times. We were sharing this with a couple recently. So many times in our marriage where this question has come up, where, where I'll be scheming and working and working my plan and crunching the numbers and brainstorming and researching online. And she'll say, have you prayed about this? And we will pause and we will pray. And I cannot tell you how many times God because of his mercy and kindness to a self-sufficient sinner like me, has answered our prayers. And I'm convinced it's because God is all about his glory, and he will not give his glory to another, and he will thwart our self-sufficient plans. He will oppose us, but when, but when we come to him and ask, he just loves to answer our prayers. It's like he's just standing on the edge, and he sees me just working and working and working, and he's just waiting, just saying... Just ask. I'm right here. And as soon as we, I humble myself and I ask, he loves answering our prayers. And don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with working hard and with planning. But working hard and planning without prayer is an expression of my pride and self-sufficiency. And it's grieving. It grieves the Lord. Because after I check all the boxes... And after I work so hard and I come up with a solution, we can look back and say, look what I've done. Look at what I've done. Look at the problems I've solved. And it robs God of glory. Self-sufficiency, it robs God of glory. And the Lord's prayer is a gift to self-sufficient people like me. It's a gift because we come, Jesus teaches us to come and say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. We confess we're dependent on him. We need him. We're not self-sufficient. We're not independent. We're not self-reliant. We don't have the strength to do these things. And God just loves it when we come to him in prayer like this. For his kingdom and glory. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Lord. Amen. We pray for God's kingdom. Point number two. We pray for God's power. We pray for God's power. In the Lord's prayer, we confess that the power belongs to God. In verses 11 through 13, look down in Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13. We saw... Three petitions Jesus taught us to pray. 
And it really covers every area of our life, if you think about it. It covers our material and physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. This is what we need today to survive. It covers our spiritual need for forgiveness, both with God, forgive us our debts, and with one another as we also have forgiven our debtors. It covers all of our spiritual needs. It covers our moral needs, deliverance from evil and temptation. Physical, spiritual, moral, all of our needs are dependent on God's help and God's grace and God's power. And this this model prayer Jesus gives us, it leads us to express our complete dependence on God's power in every area of our lives. Jesus teaches us that there is no part of our life that number one is not completely dependent on God. And number two, that he does not care about is our father. He cares about our needs. He cares about our forgiveness and our relationships. He cares about being delivered from evil and our temptations. He cares about every single area of our lives. And he has the power to help us and to provide for us. That's what they, 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 they end the prayer by saying, yours, O Lord, is the power. Not us. Yours is the power. We believe in an omnipotent God. That means he is all powerful. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32 asked this rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. The answer is no. Is anything too hard for me? Yes, nothing's too hard for the Lord. I love Matthew 19, when when Jesus' disciples ask him, who then can be saved? Because he said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, and they're going, "Who, who then can be saved? And Jesus says to them, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He has the power. Even even prophetic ministry this morning, we were reminded that obstacle, that thing, we cannot do anything about it. God can. He is all-powerful. And so we humble ourselves. We confess our need. We confess our dependence. We confess the power belongs to you, O Lord. We submit these things to you. We ask you because you can actually do something about this. You can work. You can provide. You can save. You can do something here about this. I'm reading a book on the early church and the improbable rise of Christianity. And he has this section, two to three pages, on the prayers of the early church. And he keeps, the author uses this phrase that stuck out to me. They were people of little power. Meaning, they weren't impressive. They weren't powerful. They weren't anything that was special when you looked at this group of people. It's similar to what Paul told the Corinthians. Not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful or of noble birth. That's, that's the early church. And looking around this room, that's us as well. Not impressive, not powerful. And yet, the author says that they gave the impression of being confidently powerful and it was amazing what the Lord did through this 
And he answers the question, why? Why did they have this confidence? Well, they believed that Jesus had defeated Satan and sin on the cross. They believed that Jesus had sent the Holy Spirit, who he says had unleashed unimaginable spiritual power for good in the world. And they believed that through prayer, they had access to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who would act on their behalf. And so they would pray and they would ask and things would happen in the church. People would come in sick and they would lay their hands on them and pray for them and they would often be healed. People would come in and they would be imprisoned in their souls and they would share the gospel and pray for them and people would be set free. They'd be filled with joy. They prayed for their enemies and found God would save them. And what happened is these rumors began spreading and they began saying there's power here something is going on here and non-christians would come to investigate and they would look at the people and kind of scratch their head you know these people and then they would gather and they would pray and God would answer their prayers and it led people to say God is with them there's something powerful here and the churches grew Not because they were impressive, not because they were great, but because God was powerful. And you could see why in the early church they would love doing the Lord's prayer and praying it. And ending by saying, for yours is the power forever. Amen. Because they wanted people coming in the church who were saying, what is happening here? How did you get that power? And they wanted to say, no, 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 no. It's his power forever amen their weakness was not a vice it was a virtue it was a good thing they were unimpressive that was not a negative thing it was a good thing because it meant it was all the lord's work it was god's power listen do you feel weak do you feel unimpressive do you feel your limitations Do you feel like, man, just as we heard in prophetic ministry, there are just things that are outside of my control. I think Jesus is inviting us to pray. And when we pray, I believe he answers. I believe you will see powerful things happening, not because of you, but because the power belongs to God. This is an application of the Beatitudes. The main point Jesus is unpacking through this Sermon on the Mount. Remember where we started. It's kind of his, it's his proposition statement for the sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, the mo- are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you are poor in spirit, that's what qualifies you to pray and to come to him. And he's teaching his disciples, come and ask and I will show you my power. And he will show himself to be a sovereign, powerful, merciful, mighty God. Pray for God's power. Not because you have power, because God has power. And when we, in dependency on God, when we pray For God's kingdom to come. Not trusting in ourselves or our self-sufficiency, but dependent on God. And when we pray in our weakness for God's 
power to come. The result is that God gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. It all belongs to him forever. Amen. Point number three, pray for God's glory. We pray for God's kingdom. We pray for God's power. And we pray for God's glory. Prayer begins and ends with the glory of God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. They wanted to end their prayers by transferring all the glory to God. And it's a biblical prayer. So when, when they add this, this line onto the end of the Lord's Prayer, the early church, it's a biblical prayer molded after 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. This is what 1, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. This is King David as they're coming and they're making this free will offering to the Lord. They're coming and he wants to build the temple and he's receiving an offering and they're coming and they're sacrificially giving and they're bringing their offering to the Lord. They look back at all the Lord provided and David wanted to make sure God got all the glory. He didn't look at them and say, oh, thank you and praise you. He saw the offering and they sacrificed and he said, no, 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 no. This is the Lord's work. And I'm going to transfer all the glory to God for what he has done. This is what Jesus is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, O Lord. If I've done anything good, if there's any good at all, it's all for your name and your glory. Because you provided a way for us to do that. We want to transfer the glory to God. That's why it's great to end our prayers by praising him and thanking him and exalting his name above all. I was reminded of when Jesus healed the ten lepers. Such a, a convicting story. You, you, you don't have to turn there, but you can read it later in Luke chapter 17. It's where Jesus is going by and there's ten lepers. And they cry out to Jesus, Jesus Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus hears their cry. And he has the power to heal them. And he does. And he says, go, show yourself to the priest to show that their leprosy was gone. And as they were going, they realized that they were healed. Jesus had answered their prayers. And it says this. It says one of them. When he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That's the response when God answers our prayers. We turn back. We have a loud voice, praising God. We fall down and say, thank you, Lord. And Jesus' response was, were not ten healed? Where are the other nine? And I read that, and I think, I want to be like the one. 
I don't want to be like the other nine. I want to be like the one. I want to turn back. And, and, and when he answers prayers, I want to thank him and I want to fall at his feet and give him glory. Just think about all the ways that God has answered your prayers. Just think about all the ways he's delivered you and preserved you and helped you and blessed you. Think about where your life would be apart from him. Let's be like the one. Let's turn back with a loud voice and give thanks to God. Let's glorify him. And this is the pattern we see in scripture over and over and over. And Jesus teaches us this prayer to be dependent on him because he loves answering our prayers. We pray for God's help. We see our need for God. We see we're dependent on God. We pray for God's help. God answers and delivers us. And then God gets all the glory over and over and over. This is the rhythm of our lives, okay? This is the fabric of our lives. It's not cotton. It's this right here. This is the fabric of our lives. We, we're desperate. We pray. He delivers. He gets glory. Next day, I'm desperate for God. I pray. He answers, I give him the glory over and over and over. This is Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Why does he deliver us? Why does he do it? So he gets all the glory. That's the pattern over and over and over. As we are talking about prayer and the Lord's Prayer in our community group last week, I found it interesting all the variety of ways that people were growing in their prayer lives. And it was amazing to see the diversity of ways that people were praying. A lot of it was very informal. A, a mom of four kids talking about how she doesn't get quiet times. Bad name for that moment, quiet times. She said, I haven't seen a quiet time in a very long time with four kids. There's not uninterrupted time throughout the day to pray. So she finds herself just praying out loud continuously throughout the day. Lord, help us. Lord, help me. And she finds her kids doing the same thing. You know, they're building Legos. Lord, help me. I can't get this pizza, you know. They're just learning from their mom throughout the day praying. There was a businessman talking about driving from sale to sale, just praying to the Lord. Lord, help. Lord, provide a sale. As he would think of people, he would just pray for them throughout the day. There was a student praying as he's walking to class from one class to the next, using that time to pray. There was some folks who had formal times of prayer. One guy sharing about shutting the door and just bowing down before the Lord. And he shared about the intimacy he felt with God, just alone in his room with the door closed, just physically bowing down. And God meeting with him. Someone mentioned praying the Psalms, praying God's word. Another person mentioned vocalizing their prayers. Because they wanted just the sense that they were talking to a real person. Not just in their mind, but just praying out loud to God. And at the end of the night, we kind of asked. We ended the night asking, well, which one is right? Which way is right? And the answer was, all of them. All of them were right. Is God glorified? When we close the door and pray, yes. Is God glorified when we're busy going from one thing to the next and we're just lobbing up prayers, you know, just I need your help. Yes, he's glorified. Is God glorified when it's at a set time? Yes. Is God glorified when it's spontaneous? Yes. 
The Lord just wants us to pray. He wants us to commune with Him and interact with Him. That's what it means, praying continuously. It's just throughout the day, this sense of, I need you. I need your help. I'm going into this meeting. I'm going to this call. Lord, I have these kids. I need your help right now. Have mercy. It's just this constant dependence on God. And He answers our prayers throughout the day. He just loves it. He's just waiting to answer our prayers. That's why self-sufficiency is so convicting. Because it's not only robbing God of glory, but it's robbing us of joy. It's robbing us of going, look at what the Lord did today. He answered my prayers. Our prayer begins and ends with God's glory, God's kingdom, and God's power. That's why we say, Amen. Amen is not a throwaway word in our prayers. Kevin DeYoung, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, he mentions that he had a friend in college who ended his prayers by saying, groovy. This was not the 70s. This was the 90s. There's multiple problems with this, okay? But he thought, he thought you could just insert any word there. So he thought, you know, groovy's as good as amen. So let's pray groovy at the end of his prayers. Because he thought amen was just a throwaway word. It's like we think it just means we're done now. Okay, it's over. Amen? Okay, it's over. That's, that's the end of it. That's not what it means. Amen means truly. Or let it be so. When Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying amen, amen. It's this confident statement that God is going to accomplish his purpose through these prayers. It's saying, Lord, I've asked you for these things, and I'm not just saying the prayer is over now, but I'm saying the prayer has been heard by God. Let it be so. Your will be done. When we say amen, we're saying, Lord, you have heard, and now you're going to do something about that. Whatever you decide to do, you're going to make it happen. We don't end our prayers with a question mark. We end our prayers with an exclamation point. God will do this. In the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen that we are Jesus' disciples. That we belong to his kingdom, this counter-cultural kingdom. Our hearts have been transformed by his spirit. He has taught us who we are. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He has shown us how he has fulfilled the law, perfect righteousness, how he's transformed our hearts He's taught us how to love our enemies, how to lay up treasures in heaven, how to trust Him every day and not be anxious. He, he provides for us. He's shown us how to seek Him and ask for what we need, and He will answer us. He's taught us how to build our house on the rock of Christ. And we finish the Sermon on the Mount by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.